Welcome back or welcome to the Single Track Podcast. I'm your host, Finn Melanson, and in this episode, we talk with Jared Hazen. Jared is a professional mountain ultra trail runner for Solomon based in Flagstaff, Arizona. Jared joins the podcast to talk about his third place finish at this past weekend's 2022 Canyon 100K, the golden ticket he secured to this year's Western States 100, as well as much more. We also talk about his entry into the sport at a relatively young age, his sponsorship change earlier this year, what it's like being a full-time ultra runner, his long-term goals in the sport, and what it's been like uh, being a part of the Coconino Cowboys over the years. Let's get started. All right, Jared Hazen, welcome to the Single Track Podcast. Hey, Finn. Thanks for having me. Excited to chat today. I know that we're definitely going to spend a fair bit of time talking about your recent performance at Canyons last weekend and the build-up to Western States and expectations there. There are a lot of background questions I want to ask about you, though. And I think I should say, first off, before we get started, as a fan of the sport, I think I speak for a lot of folks when I say we're all really stoked you're going to be on the start line this year for Western. It just adds that much more excitement and depth at the front of the men's field. And I got to imagine you feel the same way. What are your current thoughts right now? Yeah, I was excited to get back. Um, It'll be my, I guess, fifth time running Western States. Um, Three finishes and one DNF. So my DNF coming last year, which resulted in me not getting uh, an automatic spot back into the race. Um, So yeah, I had to get a golden ticket this year. And uh, kind of did it last minute at Canyons, but um, I was excited to to get it done and get to look forward to heading back. My uh, I have a co-host who does certain episode series with me, and he did the Canyons Hundred K preview. Brett Hornig, and I was I was texting with him back and forth before this episode, and he said Jared is in the second phase of his Hall of Fame career right now, in the same way that like Tom Brady had a couple different eras on the football field. Uh, yeah, he 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 says that this uh, 2022 is the start of your second Hall of Fame career in the sport. So, w- one question I have there on the Western States front: you've you've now done it a couple times. You've had a lot of success, a couple podium finishes. Do you still find ways to get excited about the race? Like, what's your current why for that race? Is it like I'm not going to stop until I win or get a course record? What is it? Yeah, I mean, I think under certain circumstances, I'd probably stop <laughs> without getting either of those. But uh, my my current motivation is to win uh, Western States, and uh, that kind of idea or like dream started in 2015, probably when I finished third at the race, and uh, that was kind of back in my early days. I think I was 20 years old, um, and uh, it was kind of a breakout like performance for me, and just opened my eyes that you know really believe in myself and think that, you know, maybe one day I could win this race, which, you know, in my mind was like the you know greatest ultra to win. Um, and like, you know, definitely still is. I don't, I don't, you know, wouldn't necessarily argue that it's the most competitive, like greatest ultra out there. Um, UTMB probably takes the, the cake for, for that. But like, as far as Personally, to me, um, getting my start in ultra running at, at Western States and having a history there, like it, it still means a lot. Well, you just mentioned it earlier. You're partly famous for getting into the sport really, really young, like right off the bat after high school and obviously having a lot of success right off the bat too. And I think from my perspective, what impresses me the most is the way you did it. Like 
you seemed to know exactly what you wanted and you had the confidence to go follow it. Like, I think you took a break from college for a bit. Like you went straight from high school into the sport and it's really interesting. Like, I'm just curious, like, what was your mindset back then? Like what gave you, I'll use the word courage to just like, just give it a try, like go all in on it that early in life. Yeah. I mean, my, my motivation at the time was just that like, I was really interested in ultra running and trail running and it was like what I really liked to do. Um, so I didn't exactly have like, you know, big dreams of becoming like a professional runner or like, uh, you know, winning certain races or like, you know, you know getting to the top of the sport by any means. But uh, that kind of came over time. But yeah, initially, like, uh, I, I got into ultra running in high school. Um, and I, I was running these trails in a state park in my hometown of Titusville, Pennsylvania. And there's a race there called the Oil Creek 100. And like, as soon as I was running on those trails and had heard about this hundred mile race, I was like pretty fascinated. I was like, that, that seems kind of crazy that people run like a hundred miles out here at a time. And like that, that definitely like drew me in. Like I was immediately like hooked on this, like idea of racing a hundred miles and what that would be like. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so like. Yeah, and, like, I had kind of a competitive background with, like, running cross-country and track and field in middle school and high school. And so, I guess, like, naturally, the competition part of it, you know, came. But, like, there is a certain fascination of, like, just covering the distance that was new new to me. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know really how to explain it. I didn't have, like, grand plans or anything, but after high school, I was like really fascinated with the West and like the Rocky mountains. And I grew up in, I grew up in Pennsylvania, like kind of a, just a hilly rural area, but like, you know, not exactly a trail runner's paradise. Right. So I was, I was like curious about what, what things were like out West. And, uh, yeah, a couple of days after graduating high school, I took a one way flight to Grand Teton national park and, uh, spent the summer working as a housekeeper um and would just like any day i had off would go go run in the mountains and stuff and i thought it was awesome was there anybody you were influenced by like in that move out west like were you looking at other ultra runners in the sport and saying like the way they did it i want to give that a try yeah like some people with like an online presence at the time like guys like sage canada yeah um even anton Kropichka, like these guys like living in Colorado. I thought Colorado was like so cool. Um, just cause like, you know, there wasn't exactly a ton of, uh, I don't know, like exposure to the sport in like 2013. There's definitely right. some, but like the, those guys were probably, uh, pretty influential. And then, um, <clears throat> kind of locally, there was this runner, Jeff Nelson, who had, he had used to coach at the high school that I ran for. And once he had found out that I was like running on the trails, uh, we kind of like linked up and we did some training together, but it was kind of funny cause he was like, like twice my age or like more. He had a daughter in high school that was my age. And so like, he was kind of a, he was kind of like a first mentor and stuff who showed me the ropes a little bit, like what, what the sport was all about. I want to ask one more question on the high school front. Um, I think you mentioned like during that era, 
you were really interested in being a competitive runner, but you weren't really putting up the results that you were satisfied with. And so you sort of kept going down the research rabbit hole, trying to figure out what it would take to get better. And that's also interesting to me because despite all the negative feedback you were getting in the moment, you were keep you kept searching, you kept trying. And I think most people at that age, they don't have that like initial positive feedback on something. They, they look to something else to pursue. And is that persistence like a, a strong suit of yours? And like, were you just like determined no matter what to make running like the main thing in your life? Uh, yeah, I guess so. Like I, I'm definitely a pretty persistent person and like the, the, like the fact that running is kind of an individual pursuit and it was kind of like you get in what you like, or you get out of it, what you put into it was really appealing to me. And like, even before running, I was really into golf. Like my dad is a, a good golfer and we played as, as I was a kid. And like, I even took that to the extreme. Like my parents <laughs> would drop me off like in the morning and I'd play all day. Like I'd play like, I wouldn't just play like 18 holes of golf. I would play like 72 holes of golf. <laughs> Um, so I've always kind of been a little obsessive about like stuff like that, I guess, or like, I don't know, I guess I like to pick one thing and try to be like really good at it or try to like, you know, focus all of my energy into that one thing. Um, and like once I found running, I had a little bit of like initial success where just the team that I was on, like immediately I was like one of the best runners on the team. And Mm. so that helped. And then like after that. Um, you know, like I, I kind of, I guess I just figured like, why, why not? Like, why couldn't I be, you know, one of the better kids in our region and one of the better kids in the state. And, um, you know, I never got too far with high school running. I ended up, I would say one of the better runners in the region, but like never, never, uh, was a great runner even on the state level actually. So, um, that's when I turned to ultra running. Well, I think you mentioned that, uh, probably the biggest part of the solution was just to, from an improvement standpoint was was volume just just purely running more and i know that we'll probably talk later in the conversation about your new relationship with jason coop but is that still core to your philosophy are you still a big believer in like if you want to get better at the sport if you want to maintain your standing in this sport it's about like putting in a bunch of time on feet yeah i mean for me it is i think like there's definitely examples of runners who like don't have to run a crazy amount um but i think like just like physiologically they're probably different than than i am um so yeah kind of early on i was like in high school you know i was kind of looking for like some way to be like a a better runner and like eventually it just kind of dawned on me like i think if you just run more you know you're gonna be better at running instead of trying to figure out like what like perfect blend of smoothie you can have for breakfast that's gonna like you know <laughs> make you healthy and stuff so yeah like and then I tried it like I started running more and like the results were crazy like I was like way better um even just like a few months later like I probably had a not a great like junior year of cross country and then I started running higher mileage just like on my own during the winter before track mm. So like probably two or three months gone by and like I was running like a minute faster in races like like by the spring and then like so obviously like having some positive feedback I like kept it up and then like the next year it was like even more like I was improving even more so um 
yeah, volumes always worked for me. I think it still does. Um, I've I've definitely like gotten carried away and done too much. So I think I've found a better balance with things. But yeah, it's still I just respond well to it for whatever reason. This question's a little off topic, but I I don't know why I'm reminded of it. Would you ever consider doing a road marathon, like at the stage of your career, or anything on the roads? Given that, for example, like Jim has dabbled in it a bit, and you know other folks in our scene take breaks from the trails for a bit to go see what they can do there. Does that interest you at all? Not really. Um, I, I I don't think I'd be very good at it. Uh, in Flagstaff, there's a lot of really great road marathoners in town, and I've trained with some of them. And I, I probably have a pretty decent idea of like what I could run for a marathon without ever having to do one. Where do you think it's at right now? What do you think like high end you could do? Uh, like I think like best case scenario for me would be like two sixteen, uh, and like OTQ. Yeah, I mean, but who knows? Like it, it could also be two twenty. Um, yeah, it could be two twenty two. But like I think, I think if I put everything into it, like I I could run like two sixteen, and that's just. That doesn't really get me too fired up. (laughs) So maybe there has to be some element of mystery or unpredictability to what you're going after. Yeah. Or like, you know, it's not, I don't know. I guess once you've had some success in like the corner of the sport of ultra running, it's like, do I really want to like try really hard to just be like like mediocre, you know, in road running? That's a great point. Yeah. There's, I don't know. There's not a huge payoff to it i guess what is i've always wanted to know this what is the story behind how you met jim walmsley uh i think the first time i met him was at lake sonoma in 2015 we both both raced there um he i think i finished third and he was like fifth after kind of going out pretty hard um and then yeah we just kind of like we're chatting after the race and stuff. Obviously, I guess that was like when he was first getting into ultra running more. And uh, we stayed in touch at the time. I lived in Colorado Springs and he had he had lived there previously when he attended the Air Force Academy. And I remember a couple of times he had like passed through town and we like linked up for a run. Um, and yeah, we just like stayed in touch. Um told me that like he you know him and a few younger guys in Flagstaff were training together and like they were all racing pretty well um and I was kind of looking for a new home and I I ended up in Flagstaff like a couple years after I had met him like in 2017. Is he a pretty persuasive guy like is he like truly like a ringleader in that sense of the word? Um I don't I don't know if he if he's if he's that persuasive, I mean, he got me, I guess. Um, but like at the same time, it was, I guess Flagstaff has a lot of good things going for it. You know, like you could, yeah. e- even if, you know, the other pieces weren't there, you, you kind of be making a good decision, like living here as a runner. Yeah. So, uh, but yeah, I guess like, you know, that the group group aspect was definitely, um, you know, something that he, he cared about and kind of wanted to pursue. So, well, at the height of the scene, maybe it was 2018, 2019, give or take, how often were you guys like training together? For example, like the year that you were all in on Western States, for example, uh, maybe three times a week. We, we would all be, you know, 
sometimes more. I mean, there's probably some weeks like I know for sure. Like there's been some weeks where uh, I've run like every single day with Eric Sensman, <laughs> like seven <laughs> seven days out of the week we've run together. Um, but like you know, all getting together probably at it, at its height, like three maybe four days a week. Um, but you know, it depended a lot. If we were getting, if we we're all training for the same race, like Western States, obviously it was a little easier. But as like you know, people splintered and had different races and stuff, it it became a little harder. And looking back, like what was that era like? Like, do you look back at those years in particular pretty fondly? Like having that opportunity for the closest thing, in my opinion, we've ever had to a trail running team in the sport. Yeah, it was pretty fun. Like, you know, we were all like in our twenties. Um, just, yeah, like what, what's not fun about it, you know, like training in Flagstaff, Arizona, none of us had that much responsibility. We would meet up for a beer at least like once a week too. Um, and like we had a pretty good community around us and, um, yeah, it was fun. Drive to the Grand Canyon together, go for a long run. Like, uh, got to crew each other at races and stuff. That was always a good time. So yeah, definitely. Definitely look back fondly on it. Where does it stand today, given that I think I heard the news that Jim is moving over to France and I think Cody's in Mammoth and is there still a semblance of the team? Is it not in its current form anymore? Like where does it all stand? Yeah, it's not like what it was really. Um, I think the pandemic changed things a lot because um, it's crazy to think about, but like it does it, you know, 2020 when the pandemic started, we were pretty cautious even to like run with each other you know like yeah. it, there was a few months there where it was just like even hanging out was kind of weird um so that just changed a lot like cody moved jim's sounds like he's moving to france um and like what i mean i still hang out with like most of them yeah pretty frequently i'm at steven's yeah. house right now so um yeah, we, we still Steven. get out for runs and like <laughs> hang out and stuff, but maybe not as much as we used to. Well, cool. No, I've always been curious. It was, I don't know, as a fan of the sport, it was it was a cool era mm-hmm. where, you know, you guys were putting out content on the regular and uh, training for the same races and like organizing around golden tickets in Western States. So, no, it was just cool. Yeah, I mean, part of that too was like uh, Mike Hermsmeyer wasn't like kind of dedicated himself to the group. So like all the yeah. content that you saw was from mike um really otherwise it would have been like we were never any good at posting for ourselves um so like mike definitely pushed things along yeah uh, quite a ways um i guess for like gotcha. us being accessible and stuff cool well i do want to i do want to ask a couple questions on like the training and career related front before we talk about canyons and western uh the first yeah, I'm curious. I mean, you know, the last, obviously, I'll say this with a preface, you're one of the best runners in the sport period still. Like I, I put you on the Mount Rushmore with Jim Walmsley and Tim Tolfs and all these other great American male ultra runners. But uh, the last couple of years, you had a, a string of like a lot of DNFs, subpar races by your standard. I'm curious what you attribute that to and what you thought the limiting factors were and, and maybe what the biggest lessons have been. Yeah, I think... <clears throat> I mean, short answer is it could probably all be explained away with like overtraining. Um, And in 2020, that that was kind of like the start of my woes was like about the time the pandemic happened. Uh, I also graduated college like 
in May of 2020 and like, you know, March or April was kind of when we first went into lockdown. Yeah. And like, I just found myself with a lot more time on my hands and like, I've always trained a lot, but I like started, I would say like not necessarily any one week was so, so much bigger than what I had done in the past, but all of a sudden like, you know, eight week training blocks were turning into like three or four month long training blocks Mm. and like races were harder to come by. So I would just run a lot for, you know, months on end without like anything in sight. Um, Yeah. Kind of a less structure than what I was used to. Um, So that was, that was a, you know, the big, big problem that I had uh, in the last two years, just showing up to a lot of races, not, not feeling very good. Um, It's a, it's a bad feeling to start an ultra tired. Um, And that was, that was kind of what, what happened a lot. And like, I obviously had the expectations that like I still wanted to race well and stuff. So mm. I was like going out hard and like trying to stay with the leaders and like always just, just be a gassed by halfway. Um, so yeah, it was a lot of it. And I, you know, that's not uncommon in the sport. I think like there's stories of guys yep. who got it, you know, had a couple good races, got a sponsorship, quit their job and then found themselves like overtrained, you know, later that year or something. So I had to figure that out and kind of work through it. And, uh, you know, fingers crossed, I think I'm on the other side of it. Um, things have, have been a lot better um, this year. So, yeah, hopefully I keep moving in that direction. I mean, in addition to being a great runner, it, it just from an observ- observer standpoint, uh, it seems like you're not afraid to take at-bats either. Like if you have a bad race or even a stretch of bad races, like you're signing up for the next one almost immediately. It's not like you're feeling deterred by the performance is that is that pretty correct yeah i mean i would say like a little bit last year i was i was getting sick of it um like western states was a big big disappointment because i had trained like really hard i thought it was in great shape um yeah and i mean probably the problem was like i was i was like a month early you know um with with my training um so, or like the the race was a month late. Um, but I guess like I would see like glimpses of being in like great shape and training and stuff. So that would always keep me going. And like, I've like definitely had some of my best training in the last couple of years and it's just not shown in races. Yeah. Um, and I like at times maybe started to wonder <laughs> if it, like if I was ever going to have a good race again, but like, um, I don't know. Like I would always come around like after taking some rest or something and I'd be like, no, like I still got it. Um, so yeah, I guess like eventually after CCC last year, I dropped out at halfway. I took like a whole month off and then Mm -hmm. I started working with Coop, um, after that. And so we've working with him has been a big help. We we've kind of together gotten, gotten straightened out a bit. I want to talk about that in just a second, but you said something interesting. You said that at the 2021 Western States, you were about a month early with your training, which is an interesting phrase. And um, just for listeners that might not understand like the physiology of that and you know what goes into building a training block, what does it mean to be about a month early? And what do you see as like the perfect build in terms of the number of weeks um, leading up to a race like Western States? Yeah, I guess, you know, physiologically i don't i don't really know you know what what it is that like 
makes you overtrained. But like, uh, I guess like that race in particular, I'd started training like at the end of February, like started training pretty hard at the end of February. And so by the time like April rolled around, I was in like really great shape. Like I probably could have ran Western States in April and then like May came and honestly like May I was probably pushing it, but like I was still in great shape. Um, but like still running even more. And then like by the end of May, early June, like little things just started to like unfold where like I was feeling pretty tired on my runs. Like I, I, went from having like a few good runs a week to like no good runs a week where I was tired every day. Um, yeah. and like, you know, you expect to be tired when you're training hard for an ultra, but like there's a fine line between, you know, what's productive and what's not. And then like, even before the race, like I was, this wasn't like a limiting factor, but it, like a small injury popped up and like, it's just those things that are these little red flags that, I think they're easy to ignore in the moment, but like once you look mm. back, you're kind of like, Oh, that was obvious. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I guess like the, the main point is like, you can only be in good shape for so long. You just can't be in great shape. you like the shape of your life, like all year, every year. It's a fleeting moment. Yeah. Um, like you need, you need that. And then you need like rest afterwards and then you need to do it again. So I, I had just stretched, stretched myself a little thin in the months before. Gotcha. Well, you mentioned the new relationship with Jason Coop, and uh, I'm curious, what have been some of the biggest changes to your training since that started? Yeah, I guess the main thing is, is like, I would, a lot of times before I worked with Coop, I, I had trained kind of at my, like, maximum capacity um, throughout the year. So, like, if I had a race coming up, like, I, I would, you know, ramp up and kind of train, like, as hard as I could train. And then like yeah. run the race and then like, um, you know, you know, recover, do it again. Whereas, uh, with Coop, we've definitely had more of a, a long range plan that looks a lot further than just beyond like the next race. Um, and so we kind of, you know, from my perspective, b- building in a little bit more logical way where like, you know, at the beginning of this year, I, I wasn't running a ton, um, I've done a lot more workouts with him than usual too. So we're doing a lot of intensity over the winter, not that many miles. And then like, as we got closer to, um, Canyon started running like a little bit more, but even that, like I, I mean, I ran like three or four weeks that were fairly high volume, like compared to what I'm used to. And I guess it just seems like, it just seems like, okay, we have a big goal of Western States and like, I feel like we have somewhere to go, you know, like we haven't like tapped ourselves out, uh, completely before, you know, the last training block arrives. So there's, I hmm. don't know, in my, in my mind, there's like a next logical step. It's like, okay, the rest of the intensity goes away. The volume goes up a little bit more and then, you know, we race. So yeah, just, I mean, more structure overall. Uh, in your context, what does, a lot of intensity look like in a given week in terms of workload? Uh, intensity, like I would almost never do workouts before if I did really? like maybe, yeah, like maybe one every two weeks, but like, I guess intensity would come in the form of like, if I felt good and I was at the bottom of a climb, I would like run hard to the top. 
Um, okay. Or like I would, I would do some hard long runs on the dirt roads around here that you could maybe say were like steady state efforts, um, stuff like that. But then like with Coop, we, we, we did a lot at times. Like sometimes I was doing like three workouts a week. Um, and wow. like, and a long run, uh, not always a long run. Okay. Yeah. Like in the, in the, you know, late fall, early winter, I wasn't really doing long runs so much. Um, okay. and then like, even, even as we got more into like January, February, a lot of times he would like include a workout in the long run. So, um, and those are like pretty hard. So I would do like four times 10 minutes at the beginning of a workout or beginning of a long run. And that would take like an hour and a half. And then I'd have like two and a half hours still to run, you know, it's like not really a cool down, but, uh, you know, to finish the run. Yep. Cool. Do you like being coached? Uh, yeah, yes and no. Like some, I don't always want to do what what Jason tells me to do. Um, (laughs) but I mean, yes, I, I like, I, like in the grand scheme of things, I like having somebody else involved with my training. And I like even just like, you know, being able to talk to somebody about some of this stuff where like, um, like the first race Jason and I had together was black hand and I dropped out and I was like, Oh fuck. Like, like, I'm not, I was like, I'm not over whatever I thought I was over. But then like in my head, I was like, no, like you are like, I felt good at the start of this race. I just didn't feel like I was in shape to race a hundred K just to get on the yeah. phone with him after and talk and be like, yeah, I thought the same thing. Like I thought this was a little rushed, you know, like I kind of switched up the schedule on him a bit last minute for black Canyon. And so just like, just have a sounding board to be like, you know, some of my, like your initial impressions that by yourself, you would like second guess to have somebody yeah. with a bunch of experience, be like, no, I, I agree. You know, like that, that sounds right. Yeah. Well, switching gears a bit, uh, I'm curious what prompted the switch from Hoka to Solomon because you have the new sponsor this mm-hmm. year. You're running for the Solomon team, and uh, yeah, I'm curious what prompted the switch, and yeah, what makes you attracted to that team, wanting to be a part of it. Yeah, I mean, I've been with Hoka for like five years, and they were like my first first sponsor that I signed with, and um, like things were great with them. It was it was really fun to be uh, a part of the brand for the time that I had been. Um, I guess what I was what I was kind of looking for most was like a a little bit more like athlete support from the brand. Um, okay. I think it's hard to to describe unless like you're an athlete like traveling around the world to these races. But like it's it's some things that seem little that like aren't so little. Like I remember going to UTMB for the first time last August, and like. I had a travel budget with Hoka and I was like pinching pennies staying in this like kind of shitty apartment. Um, that was really loud and like, I had no one there to like help crew me or anything. Like I'm like sending mm. texts to like, uh, people mm. like, Hey, can, like, can you help crew? Uh, <laughs> and like, I, oh. and I'm in Chamonix and like you, seeing some of the support from the other brands was crazy. Like, like Adidas, Adidas, for example, Adidas. They, I remember because like I, Steven was there and I'm friends with Steve and they had like these really nice Airbnbs that they had rented for like a whole month that like the athletes did oh, yeah. not have to think about like covering at all. They had a personal like private chef 
all week, like cooking them. I think meals. they had a masseuse, right? What's up? <laughs> I think they had like a masseuse. Yeah, too like or they something. had a masseuse. Like they had like a media team following around, like giving them like you know if you need a photo to post before the race, like. I had to, I had to like bomb a ride off of Sabrina Stanley and Avery Collins, like from Chamonix. I was like, can I get a ride with you guys? Like, I don't have any way to get there. It's just like stuff like that where it's like, you know, it makes a big difference when you're, you know, like you don't want to, if you know, if you've been to UTMB and you know what it's like, I guess, and like you have the travel budget, you can kind of do it all on your own, but like, you don't want to waste a career, like figuring it out, you know, like you only have so many these opportunities whereas like brand like solomon like they've been in the game for a long time like they you know as if you you show up to a race as an athlete like they provide all these support services like they have a physio with them they have a media team they have people to help crew you they have a team manager that's been doing it for 15 years and like um you know kind of knows his way around all these events um and then, like, even from a product standpoint, they're, like, anything you need. If they don't have it in line, like, they will they have a, a program where they'll just make it for you. So, like, they're going to make custom pieces of product, like, before Western States, like, cooling stuff. Um, so mm. that's huge. Like, that's, that's um, you know, things that, like, you can't really write into a contract. But, you know, as an athlete, they, they make a big difference. It's wild that in yeah the year 2022 in our sport, which is it's professionalizing pretty quickly, that any sponsored athlete should be responsible for logistics on race day or in the lead up. Like that's the last thing, in my opinion, you should have to think about. You should be focusing on how am I going to put together like this heroic effort on race day to do my best and to hopefully podium or win. Like it's just that's insane to yeah. me. Yeah, I mean. You know, if you've if you've been to a race, it, it's a little easier. Like Western States, I wouldn't necessarily say like I need a lot of help, you know. Um, yeah. But like, if you've never been there before, it, it's not easy to figure it out the very first time you're going. And like, you don't you like you can't always afford to go over two weeks early, stuff like that. Like, um, yeah, having the logistics part of things kind of figured out by a brand is is pretty important, I think. Cool. Are you running full time right now for Solomon? Like, is this something that if you wanted to, at least you could, it could be a full time thing? Yeah, uh, I'm running full time right now. And I have been, I guess, since I graduated college and in like May of 2020. So like the past couple years, that's kind of been what I do. What's that lifestyle like? Because very few people in the sport do it. Like, I'm, I'm guessing Jim might do it. Courtney might yeah. do it. But um, not many athletes in the sport. So, yeah, what's it like? Yeah. I mean, it's, I think it's a pretty cool lifestyle. Um, I live in Flagstaff, Arizona. I wake up, like, my main priority for the day is, like, get in, like, a good training run. Um, I've, it can be a little boring at times, for sure. Like, there's not always a, a ton to do. But then, like, you, you know, when you're traveling to races and stuff, there's, there's not exactly, like, a lot of downtime. I would say those are kind of the, the busier, um, times for an athlete but yeah. like the day-to-day -day, i mean there's you know you, you you get your training in i usually train in the morning come back to my house have lunch and usually have some sort of evening activity like 
either going to the gym to lift or even just doing like yeah. some like preventative stuff at my house or um yeah, I don't know. I don't really cross train, but like um getting getting ready for like a big long day the next day. Um say like long runs kinda take up a whole day usually. Especially if you're like driving yeah. somewhere. So I don't know. Kinda seems like three or three or four days a week are kinda busy. And then like the other days are are not very busy. But that's not uncommon for like most people who just have a normal job. Like they have two days off each week. So I don't know. Do you do you feel like if you if you did have competing responsibilities like another job that it would be cutting into your ability to train well and to essentially give your best in the sport? Uh I don't know. Like I think it's doable. A lot of people in the sport do like have a job and um and compete at a really high level. I know like for me uh like when I was in school I was I was still able to com- compete at a high level, but it was like, it was definitely, I don't know. It's just a little stressful at times. Like you, you got a lot on your plate. You got to be pretty effect, yeah. uh, efficient time at time management. And like, you definitely, I guess like when you're doing something else, you think that if I drop this, like I'll, I'll be better. And I think it's, it's probably true, but then like, you know, I guess it can, it can like bite you too. Like it, it did bite me a little bit. Um, <laughs> like just having running on my plate but uh yeah i don't know i think at this point like there's there's examples of of both like i don't think the sport is dominated by people who do it full time yeah well i'm curious i know that you can't go into the specifics of contracts but like when you're at your level of sponsorship do you get access to like for example coaching stipends and if you want to work with like a strength coach or a sports psych or any of these like miscellaneous extra things on the side you can get those with the sponsor uh i would say you could probably get access to all of those things and like i've had access to most of those things not necessarily it's not always directly like through solomon like they don't pay for everything um but like like i like i have a sponsorship with carmichael training systems so that like I represent Carmichael now and Jason in exchange, like Jason is my coach. Um, and like, I've, I've done the same thing with like a gym in town where like I was working with a personal strength coach and like, you know, in, in exchange yeah. you, you know, you give, you know, representation to that, you know, business. So, cool. you know, it's not, and I mean, there's like, there's like a level above me, obviously, but like, it's not like, it's not like professional, like ball sports, like football or basketball yeah. where like anything you need is at your fingertips. Um, um, but like, I don't know. It, I, I feel like I have like everything I need, I guess. Well, I, I appreciate, you know, the back and forth here because the, the sports business nerd in me gets really excited by this kind of stuff. And like, it wasn't so long ago that nobody was able to make a living out of this sport. And like, you know, even the top athletes in the sport were just getting shoes in exchange for, you know, the brand relationship. So I like to think that, you know, we're at the start of something where maybe five or 10 years down the road, uh, you know, your situation is like the norm for elite athletes in the sport. 
Yeah, I mean, who knows? Certainly seems to be like heading in that direction. Even since like I've been in the sport, um, like like seven years ago, two thousand fifteen, had a pretty good year of running, and I didn't exactly have like sponsors like knocking down my door. <laughs> so things yeah. have changed a lot, like just recently, and I'm kind of seems like it, it, we're we're continuing in that direction. So, one more question I have for you that I think will probably transition into canyons. I'm curious how you choose races year in and year out. Like the, what factors go into it? Um, we'll start there. Cause I have a couple other questions based off that. Yeah. I mean, I guess my, my whole career, like with Toka and Solomon, it's, it's kind of a personal thing. It's like the athlete gets to choose their schedule and then the, you know, the brand kind of does things with the athlete, like around those events if they want to, or if they don't want to. Um, but for me, like, I just, I try to pick, like, some of the, what I know are going to be the most kind of competitive uh, races of the year. Um, I typically, you know, prefer to race mostly in the U.S. and then, like, occasionally um, in Europe. Like, I don't, I don't like to do a, a lot of travel. And I guess... I don't know. I, I, I usually start with like one half of the year at a time. Uh, I don't, I don't always have like a great plan for the whole year. Um, so like yeah. the second half of this year, I don't exactly have figured out, but, uh, you know, like this year it's like, okay, I want to do Western States. So I picked Black Canyon and then that didn't work out. And so I picked canyons, um, because they're golden ticket races. Um, and then I'll race States and then, uh, I have some ideas, but I'll probably race again, like later in the year in the fall or early, uh, winter. Do you have any thoughts on specialization versus trying your hand at a bunch of different distances and terrains? Like at this point in your career, do you think I'm pretty good at this and I'm just going to like go deep into that? Or I'm actually pretty curious and like, it doesn't matter if it's UTMB or it's Western States. Like I'm just fascinated. So I'm going to go try them. Uh, I mean, I, I think I'm, I'm like pretty specialized. I, I want to stick like mainly with ultra, but like, I mean, I would put UTMB in Western States under the same umbrella as like, really? yeah, I mean like long ultra, um, you know, for like, I guess 14 plus hour races, 10 plus hour races. Um, I guess there, there is like a, a level of like difference between them, but, uh, you know, for me, like I, I, I want to run UTMB someday too. Um, and so I guess I, I, I would separate things based on like maybe like eight hours and up is kind of like long okay. extra. And then like, so terrain doesn't matter to you. I mean, it doesn't matter like right now <laughs> sitting on a couch, but like, yeah, it's, <laughs> as you're out there. Yeah, it, it does. But like, I don't know. I, 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 I guess I assume those things are like trainable. Yeah. Okay. Um, cool. but yeah, like I'm not, I'm not, a. I don't see myself being too good at like the short trail races. Um, I'll add in that, like I do plan on, uh, participating in the golden trail series this year. Um, because they have two races in the U S, um, which makes it kind of appealing, but more than anything, just to like get away from, the specialization of always training for long ultras um, and kind of like being forced to shift gears a little bit. But like, I don't exactly expect myself to like go and do really well. 
Mm. Well, maybe we'll finally get to canyons here. Like I said at the top of the conversation, I'm I'm seriously impressed by what you did there. And uh, yeah, just, just given the relative struggles you had in 2020 and 2021, and then I guess earlier this year at Black Canyon, I'm curious, what were you telling yourself leading into the race and how are you staying focused on... Yeah, just the parts of your career that would make you confident to perform at the highest level in this event. Yeah, I mean, I wasn't like, honestly, I was trying to not think about too much before the race because like, I, I definitely had like doubts. Um, and like, I think that's the hardest part is like when you've had a, a bad streak, like it's hard to get out of that mentality of like, well, this one's going to be bad too. So yeah, like I definitely had some some of those thoughts before the race, but I tried to just like let them pass and like not not like let them take hold too much, and uh, like I I just tried to get to like get to the start line. I was feeling good, like I was I definitely knew I was in shape and um, I like felt fresh. I wasn't feeling um, overtrained. I was healthy, so like you know that alone was is a win. And then as the race like as the gun went off and the race progressed, like, you know, I wasn't exactly feeling great about things the first couple hours, but as soon as we started climbing up to forest Hill, I really started getting some like positive feedback or I was feeling good. I was passing guys. I was like moving up to the field. And, um, mm. that's when I was like, I tried to really grab a hold of that and like ride it out and be like, yeah, like this is going to be a good race. Like I'm, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to get a golden ticket today. Um, yeah. I know you, you've mentioned in, in previous interviews that you tend to perform better when you're as close to the front of the pack or right there as possible. And was that where you were for the majority of the race? Like, were you up there competing and, you know, at least within a couple minutes or miles of, uh, like David and Adam, for example, or, or where were you positioned for the most of it? Yeah. For the most part, I was at the front, like the first, uh, you know, 16 miles, uh, to the first like curb aid station, I think it was driver's flat. Um, yeah, I was like basically right behind the leaders, maybe like came in like 30 seconds behind them and then like left. I think I left in second place right behind David Sinclair. And then there's like this pretty fast, just like double track road down to the Rocky Chucky river crossing of the Western States score. But obviously we don't cross it during the Canyons course. Um, yeah. And then like I got down there I made a quick stop at some bathrooms down there. And so like that had put me by the time I got out, I was like, I think I was around fifth or sixth. And like, I could guess like a minute or two back behind like the leaders. And then like, uh, all the way up to forest Hill running along Cal street, I was moving up into eventually third by the time I got to, um, forest Hill and I was a couple minutes back of David and Adam and like basically I just stayed there all day. Um, and they'd put on, they'd put like a little bit more time on me at each, like every time I got an update until like eventually David stopped putting, I think started catching David a bit towards the end, I think in the last like 10 or 15 miles. And then, but like Adam was also running away from David. So like his lead on me had, uh, about stayed the same it sounded like um and then like by the finish i think adam was about 16 minutes up and david was maybe five or six something like that so 
and how far back was Rod behind you ultimately? Uh, it was like thirty minutes back. Thirty yeah. minutes. Okay, so you were sort of in like a like a no man's land third place finish. Like you securely had a golden ticket. Was that how you did? You feel like you had it basically for the last like five or ten miles. Like you just had it in the bag. Yeah, I mean, I kind of figured that like knowing who was behind us, and then I kept getting updates that we were like well under course record pace. I was like, I don't foresee like any of these people behind us also being under course record pace i also felt like pretty good so i was like i don't i guess if i do get caught like i still have some fight in me um but that didn't seem likely and so like i don't know it was kind of like ideal situation for me like i was i was in third i wasn't like giving up like i wasn't getting dropped like super hard by the guys in front of me in terms of like it wasn't like every time I showed up to an aid station, there were like five more minutes ahead. Like I, it was pretty steady. Um, and so that felt good. I was like, I, I know I'm moving well. Like I feel good if I just keep doing this, yeah. like I'm going to get a golden ticket. And yeah, honestly, it was like one of the smoother races I've had. I think, you know, being a little bit back from David and Adam, basically I got spared the, the jostle for first place. Um, and just kind of cruised in third and like, got the job done with with getting a golden ticket um and and moving on and focusing on states you said one of the smoothest races you've ever had um were there any points where you went through a patch where you're like oh this is going to be like a you know a race from earlier this year or 2021 or was it truly like just well executed body was obeying and you were moving I mean, if I had any like doubts, they, they probably came in the first like 16 miles just because it's, it's really, yeah. there's not much climbing in that part. And it's, it was pretty fast. Um, just heading into the race, I had done this, this Solomon camp at, in Cape Verde, which are these pretty mountainous islands. And we had done a lot of slow training um, on the islands. Before I went to the trip, I had done some faster training, but I guess the most recent training I had in my legs was this kind of slower training where like we were doing a lot of miles and a lot of vert and it was just, it just wasn't fast. And so that mm-hmm. was kind of where my strength laid more that day or where I was more comfortable. At least I was like, I was more comfortable on some of the slower kind of, you know, uphills and stuff like that. Um, so yeah, I don't know. As soon as, as soon as I started climbing up to forest Hill, I was pretty sure that it was going to go well from there on i did have some low patches and stuff but nothing nothing crazy maybe we'll transition to western states here and i gotta ask this question first so back in 2019 you ran i think it was what 1426 mm-hmm. so the second the second fastest time ever on the course unfortunately the fastest time ever was the exact yes. same year i'm curious with with that performance looking back do you feel like you got the absolute most out of yourself that day or do you think, well, when I actually analyze things, maybe there was still some more in the tank and could have shaved some further time off? Like, I guess I'm asking that because I'm wondering, do you think that there's time to shave in 2022? Yeah, I mean, I guess it's ultras are a little difficult because there's like absolutely things in 2019 that like did not go very smoothly. Um, like the first... 30 miles I was having some pretty pretty serious like stomach issues I was I like threw up before I ever got into like Robinson flat um and like I think some of that might have been pre-race nerves and I'd had like a 
poor nutrition plan for the early part of the race where I kind of had like a hot weather nutrition plan, drinking a lot of my calories in, in my bottles and it's just not hot mm-hmm. the first 30 miles. So that leads to be a bit of a problem. Um, anyway, I got things sorted out eventually and started feeling really good. I had a great like middle 50 miles. Like, I don't know if I'll ever run the 50 miles of Western States, like, you know, from Robinson flat to like Rocky Chucky any faster or to green gate any faster. And then like the last 20, I was, I was starting to bonk. Um, I bonked pretty hard right after green gate and then like kind of rallied, but like, um, previously it was like chasing down Jim. I was like still thinking like, maybe I, like I might still catch him. And then like immediately after green gate, it was like, he, I was like eating three jails in a row. Just like, I was like, you, you need to like focus on yourself right now and forget about chasing. Cause you still have 20 miles left. Um, but like, I mean, I think I can run faster. It was also only 24 when I did it. So you'd hope that like, you know, a few years older, you'd be better at running. <laughs> Um, but you know, it's, I guess you, it's easy to think that like, of course you'll get better. Like, of course, you know, you'll run faster, but it may never happen again. So who knows? But, uh, yeah, I'd like to think there's, there's more there. Do you think that 1359 is possible on that course anytime soon? Probably like the weather would have to be right. Um, even like you take the year that we had in 2019, the weather was really good, but there is snow in the high country. It's just like you get yeah. a day when there's no snow and the weather's also really good. Um, and the right competition, uh, it's probably possible. Like, yeah, it's hard to imagine somebody running like 1330, I guess. Like, I guess if somebody's going to run under 14 hours, it's going to be like just barely, you know, it's going to be 1350 something. Uh, but yeah, it's probably there. Um, I don't know who will do it. Well, it's crazy because I was just watching unbreakable last night. I probably watched that movie once every two or three years. And, uh, you know, Jeff Rose runs 1507 that year. I think Anton runs 1513 and, and you know, that, that broke the internet that year. Everyone's like, that's amazing. You know? So, and then, of course, Tim Olson does his thing a couple of years later and you and Jim a couple of years after that. So it's just interesting to think about. Um, what other lessons are you taking into this race just from like your veteran experience at Western in previous years? Uh, yeah, I guess like for now, I'm just focusing on kind of realizing that I don't have to have like the greatest like training of my life in like the next eight weeks. And that, like, good enough is probably good enough. Um, so I know I'm in good shape. Like, I just had a good race at Canyon. So I don't need to go prove uh, much else to myself between now and States. But, yeah, just get in some heat training. Uh, get in some more volume. But the main thing is I really want to show up feeling fresh and healthy. And, like, if I do that, then I know I have a really good chance of having a good day. But um, you know, as far as like race task, race, race tactics and stuff are concerned, like, um, I don't know. I don't think there's like that many secrets to Western States anymore. I feel like everybody kind of knows how to do it. You just gotta be ready to run downhill and handle the heat. And like, 
um, you know, probably not run crazy hard like the first 20 miles or so. So uh, Canyons was encouraging because I finished and like felt pretty good. Like I didn't want to run more afterwards, but if I had to, <laughs> somebody put a gun in my head, I probably could have. Um, so that's nice to just have like a good solid race and not be absolutely trashed after. Like I've definitely finished lake sonoma before and got a gold ticket and just like wondered how i was going to run another 50 miles but i guess my current frame of mind is it seems doable last question on this front as a competitor as a professional in the sport is it more important for you to put yourself in a position to win the race this year or to get a pr or to or to set a cr on the course uh I- What's more interesting? Definitely to win. Like I've never been somebody who's chased course records. Um, A lot of times, the times when I've like, I don't, I don't know if I own any course records, but I have like a lot of like second fastest times, like things like that. Um, They're just a result of like competing with people in the race, and so uh, I think the competitions this year were like it could, it could maybe require me to run a personal best on the course but uh it also is like really weather dependent so um i don't know i would expect to like run under 15 hours kind of no matter what the weather but um beyond that i don't have too many time expectations of like uh, i guess you know whatever it takes to win is uh what i would hope i could do cool couple uh Rapid fire questions here before we close out. The first one, if we teleported to the year 2030 and we looked back at your body of work from the past decade, what would your resume in this sport look like from like 2022 onward? Um, I guess like just some wins and like podiums at some of the, you know, bigger races in the sport. Like for me, like the important races are like Western States, UTMB, um, Looking beyond that, like some of the like Trans Grand Canaria, Madeira Island, Ultra Trail Cape Town, Templier, um, just like I don't know, some of the more well known like big races in the sport where like you're you're getting the biggest like most competitive fields every year or what what I kind of want to focus on moving forward, and that probably means like moving more into a European schedule in the future, but uh first things first is is getting Western states taken care of. So we'll start there. Are you in Flagstaff for all of those years as well? Or are you changing home base? I don't really know. I'm pretty open to like moving. Um but I really like Flagstaff. Um like in the last couple of years I've definitely thought a lot about like where else I'd want to live and I've taken time to, you know, kind of research other areas and and uh right now flagstaff's just hard to beat you know like we have really good weather year-round we have access to all types of terrain like we we can run year-round if we want we have skiing available um we have the grand canyon all my friends are here so i don't know for now it's flag but i could be I could be persuaded to move somewhere else if, if it was better, but I, I don't see too many better options at the moment. Cool. Is there anything that you used to believe strongly earlier in your endurance sports career that you have since changed your mind about? And if so, why? Uh, yeah, probably like 
that I need to be in like the greatest shape of my life every time I step up to a start line to be successful. Um, I used to think that like I had to outdo like the previous training I had done before, like whatever race I had done before, like I need to train harder than I did for that race. And if I do that, then I'll run better. And I've just realized that, you know, you could, I could train at 70% of, you know, the most I've ever trained before and have like a better race than I've ever had before. So yeah, it's not always doing more. Isn't always the, the most important thing that like, you know, just being, being fit and like motivated and healthy is, uh, is key. Cool. Last question. If you could put a message on a billboard for all to see, what would it say and why? I don't know. Don't smoke cigarettes or something. <laughs> something, <laughs> something that like everybody could, you know, could like benefit from. <laughs> Cool. Well, man, I really enjoyed this conversation. I appreciate uh, the opportunity to talk about more than just Canyons and Western and to look back at your history in the sport and your professional career. And uh, we'll make sure to link to all your socials in the show notes and we'll be looking forward to Western States. Is there anything else you want to leave the audience with? No, I don't think so, Finn. Yeah, it was, it was a good chat. Thanks for having me on. Thanks, as always, for listening. I hope you enjoyed this week's episodes covering the golden ticket winners from the Canyons 100K. Personally, it got me even more stoked for our sport, and I cannot wait to put this all together a couple months from now at the Western States 100. Before we go, I have the usual asks. If you haven't already done so, please subscribe to the show and leave a rating and review wherever you listen. Until next time, I'm your host, Finn Melanson, and you've been listening to the Single Track Podcast.